This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I'm glad we didn't miss out on that. I don't know if I can stay in that spirit or not here. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, unlikely. Um, if you would please go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, um, and we'll be looking at chapter 1. This is week 3 in our series, Let It Go. The first uh, week we talked about how to overcome the daily temptations of becoming easily offended. Maybe something unfair happens involving our kid or our grandkid at the school. You know, we feel like our angel doesn't deserve that unfair treatment. Or God forbid, uh, something happens at the church that we disagree with, or someone ignores us, or we hear from a third party that someone has criticized us. We all have those frequent opportunities to become offended. Proverbs 19.11, the verse that's kind of powering us through this series, tells us how we should respond to those offenses. We've, uh, <clears throat> we've given this verse each week. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook, say the word overlook, overlook, an offense. That was week one. Week two in the series took us to a significantly deeper level of hurt, and we talked about those offenses where maybe a spouse betrayed us and ripped out our heart and, in a sense, just stomped on it. Or maybe it was a business partner that we trusted, but we found out the hard way that they weren't trustworthy. Or it could have been an authority figure in our lives that we respected, someone that should have protected us but instead they touched us inappropriately and in their sick, twisted way made us think it was our fault. That was week two. Week four, next week, just a little preview, we're going to be talking about forgiving the person that I have found is probably the most difficult person to forgive. And that's me. That's forgiving ourselves. That's next week. Today, we will be discussing those times that we feel God is picking on us. Even though you may not say this out loud because, you know, we all try to put on a spiritual front, yet I think we've all felt on occasion that our loving Heavenly Father could have done a better job of taking care of us. He could have done a better job of keeping our loved one from being in that accident. He could have done a better job as the great physician, and he could have kept us from getting cancer. Or he could have at least done a better job of making sure that we have plenty of money. And so today, can, can we just cut the pretend spiritual show that we like to put on? Just be transparent, and let's discuss those times that we are disappointed with God. Now, to kind of set up the lesson, we all know those people that seem to get more than their share of breaks. Uh, for example, maybe there's that person that decides to start tithing for the very first time on a Sunday morning, and then the very next Monday morning, they walk into work, their boss meets them, boss tells them in glowing terms that they've been a great employee, and so they are being given a promotion that includes a substantial raise. Naturally, this person comes back to church Wednesday evening and is bubbling over and shares with their life group how God has honored their obedience to tithe. They started tithing on Sunday, got a raise on Monday, and that's wonderful. We all rejoice. But what pops up in a lot of our minds is, 
hey, I've been tithing for many years now, but I'm still barely making it. I'm still barely paying the rent. I'm barely keeping food on the table. And so, God, why did that person get a raise after tithing? One Sunday, I've been faithful to tithe many, many years and haven't gotten a raise, much less a promotion. Or maybe, maybe you've been praying for the healing of a relative, but instead of being healed, they got worse and passed away. Another example, maybe there's a good young lady and she felt God was telling her to break up with her not-so-good boyfriend because he was wanting her to do things that were wrong. So she said, hit the road, Jack. But would you believe that one month later, God brought into her life an amazing, godly, incredible young man that looks like the son of Brad Pitt or, or Tom Cruise or, or Joe Trussell or just kidding there. And this young man is six foot two, has eyes of blue, has muscles of steel, like your pastor again, and, uh, and has a six-figure income, not like your pastor, and he's memorized two-thirds of the New Testament, and he proposes to her. She says, yes, they both recite 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter at their wedding, and oh, by the way, did I tell you they want a free honeymoon to the Cayman Islands? And of course, you're happy for them, but you remember back five years ago when you broke up with your not-so-good boyfriend that was also wanting you to do some things that were wrong, and the only dates you've had since then have been with Ben and Jerry (laughs) around a bowl of ice cream. And you're wondering, God, why didn't you reward me? Or on a more serious note, maybe it was the baby that you always dreamed of having, but miscarriage after miscarriage ended that dream. It might have been the engagement that you believed would be coming, but years later, you're still waiting for someone to pop the question. And so what do you do when you find yourself in a situation where, in a sense, you're offended, you're disappointed with God, and and you carry at least a low-grade anger towards God? And so today, with, with God's help, and I really need God's help, I want us to work on Could I say it this way? Just hear me out. I want us to work on forgiving God. Now, I know there's nothing about that statement that sounds right. Because God is perfect in his character. He's perfect in every way. He never says, oops, I lost my temper and said something I shouldn't have. He never has to say, forgive me, because, you know, I had a moment of indiscretion. God is perfect. Amen? So when I say that we need to work on forgiving God, it's not because God has done anything wrong. But because we are so finite and so focused on ourselves and so selfish and immature, the truth is that you would be surprised. And I had someone tell me just the other day, but people voice to me on occasion, they're upset, they're a little offended at God because they don't think he is treating them as well as they feel they deserve. So with God's help, by the end of our time together, I pray that we will be able to release those ill feelings that we might have developed against God. To anchor our thoughts, we will go to the, uh, as I said, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And and in chapter 1, we find a very powerful story of a woman that had to deal with some deep, deep disappointment with God. To get the setting here, let's... uh, 
Let me begin telling, actually just read about this woman's husband for Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 from the New International Version. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. So that's the husband's name, Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and she will be the focus of our lesson today. The other wife was Penina. And this next sentence is very significant. Significant. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Now, for you men that are still stuck back on that statement of Elkanah having two wives, and if you're thinking, man, that would be cool, that would be awesome to have two wives. If that's what you're thinking, chances are very high that you're not married. <laughs> Just saying, okay? Uh, because if you're married, you already know that one wife, and, and I thought about this, and I don't want to get in trouble, I don't want the women to rush the stage and rip my head off, but let me just say it this way, men having one wife is such a huge blessing, we probably don't have the capacity to enjoy the blessings of two wives. Did I get out of that one okay? No. <laughs> But anyway, Elkanah had two wives, and as you can only imagine, these wives did not like each other. In fact, they didn't just not like each other, they hated each other. They saw each other as rivals. Not to mention that Elkanah, and and this doesn't seem very smart on his part, but he openly favored Hannah. And in verses 4 and 5, we won't read them, but it says, he took good care of Penina and her kids, But when it came to Hannah, it says he gave her a double portion. Doesn't seem too smart to me if you want to live happily ever after. But besides the favoritism, it appears that Elkanah was a really good and godly man. In fact, I did a little bit of research into what the name Elkanah means. And, of course, back in the Old Testament, parents gave serious thought to the names that they would give their children. Because a name generally had a meaning that was super significant. They didn't just say, well, I think this name sounds cool. Or, or this name is different, or this name is really popular. They put a lot of thought into the names based on what the name meant. Now, I don't know if my, my parents uh, gave much thought before they named me. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but they named me Joseph. That's uh, the name on my birth certificate. And, of course, I'm only called Joseph by my wife when a chewing is coming my way. Otherwise, I'm Joe. Um, but, but the name Joseph means God will increase. So when people say Joseph or, or Joe or, or as they call me in the country of my birth, Jose, they're actually saying God will increase. Hey, hey, Joe, God will increase. And honestly, I've never figured out what God would increase. I know it wasn't my hairline, uh, maybe my waistline, but the name Joseph means God will increase. Well, the name Elkanah had a meeting and actually As I researched this, I found it had a couple of meanings. The first meaning seemed to be very fitting. It meant belonging to God. And as we go through Elkanah's story, I think you will agree with me with that meaning. Elkanah did seem to belong to God. But I also learned that there was a secondary meaning. Elkanah in Hebrew means God will give you a son. God will give you a son. So, so when people would say, hey, Elkanah, 
they were saying, God will give you a son. Elkanah, God will give you a son. Now, from my study time this past week, I learned that it appears that Hannah was Elkanah's first love. And when the two were wed, Elkanah and Hannah and everybody else just assumed that God would give them a son. I mean, that's what Elkanah's name meant. But unfortunately, over time, year after year, much to the distress of, of Hannah, it became evident that for some reason, Hannah couldn't bear children. Which, by the way, is why most scholars believe that Elkanah took on his second wife of Penina, which some scholars also believe was around 10 years later. And as we pointed out, Penina was very fertile. She was able to give Elkanah children. Now, uh, can, can you just kind of put yourself in that position and, and imagine Hannah's internal dialogue? Here her husband's name meant God will give you a son, and God was the author of life, but he wasn't making it happen. And in that culture, Hannah had to feel like a tremendous failure because many times the self-worth of a woman was tied to how many children and especially, especially how many sons she would be able to give her husband. The, the self-worth was tied to that in the Old Testament. Well, several years into their marriage, and we don't know for sure how long, but probably over 10 years, Listen to this detail that Scripture gives us in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now, now this, uh, th- this religious festival was probably referring to the sacred holiday of Passover. And in preparation for, for this festival, families from far and near would pack up their entire family, make the journey to the temple at Shiloh, which for Elkanah and his family would have probably been at least one to two days walking each way. Let me just show you a map here that will give you a little bit of an idea. Um, right here we have uh, Ramatham, right there, and there is Shiloh. So, I, I, I don't know, just kind of the, the scale that I saw, I, I estimated that this was probably 15, maybe 20 miles or so. Now, Scripture tells us that the trip to the temple was not a pleasant trip. I don't know if you've ever taken a road trip that ended up being a horrible experience. You know, the kids were bickering and, and fussing and fighting, or you and your husband or you and your wife got into it. I think we all know what it's like to take a road trip that was not heavenly. I remember it. I, this is not in my notes, so my wife always gets nervous when I go off script here, and I get nervous too because I don't know for sure what's going to come out. But I remember one vacation, family vacation, we, we went to the beach there in, in Texas, and, and we finally just dumped the kids out there at the beach. And, and uh, Faith and I, we were having a, a discussion, you know, uh, all about those discussions. And it was not a heavenly discussion. We were not getting closer to God during that time and closer to each other. But we've all had those times that, you know, the, the trip is, is not a pleasant trip. And, and the trip to, to Shiloh, listen, to worship God, to make sacrifices to Jehovah was not pleasant. Listen to verse 6. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, meaning the other wife, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And in fact, 
This went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So, so Penina would take every opportunity to throw some serious shade on Hannah and rub it in her face and make fun of her because she couldn't have children. Now, I, I don't know this for sure. I'm just, I'm just speculating. But from my perspective uh, uh, as a male, having someone make fun of you for not being able to have children seems to me like the lowest insult anyone could ever throw at you. I mean, that, that's just my perspective. But, but that's what's happening. Not only at home, it's going on at home, but it's happening on their annual trip to the temple at Shiloh where they were going to focus on trying to get closer to God. I don't know if I should say this, but sometimes I think the hour before church is the most unholy hour of the week. You're trying to get ready. Things aren't going well. You have a bad hair day. The kids are fighting. You and your spouse are fighting. And, and in fact, uh, some of you, you come into the church Sunday morning, and at times it's like, yeah, you've been arguing, haven't you, on the way to church? Anybody? Just a moment of transparency here. Anybody ever argue on the way to church with your spouse or your family? Yeah, there are a few of you that are finally being honest here. <laughs> Let's give an altar call for the rest of those of you that aren't telling the truth. Um, now, I, I want you to try to get into the story and fully understand the emotion in this story. Here we have Hannah, and all the information we have about her is that she's probably a really sweet girl, a godly girl. And, and then we have the other wife, Penina. Guys, some of you dated her for a short time, didn't you? Or, or some of you men were once married to her. Uh, I mean, this is a girl your mama warned you about. Your mama said, stay away from girls like that. She's cruel. She's vicious. She's mean as a cat in the shower, whatever that means. I mean, don't associate with girls like that. We just pray for them. We just say, bless their hearts, but we don't get near them. And, and, and so Hannah is trying to put up with Penina's low-down, cruel, humiliating comments about her barrenness. And all the while, Hannah had to be asking God, why would you bless Penina? I mean, this mean-spirited woman and not bless me. And, and God, I've been faithful. I, I, I've read my Bible every day for the last 10 years. I come to the early service at church, and then I volunteer in the nursery during the second service with those kids and their terrible twos. And then on Wednesday night, I volunteer and I serve the middle schoolers, you know, those kids who know more than any adult on the face of the earth. God, I've always tithed. I've, I've been the good kid. And here you look at Penina. She's not nice. And, and God, every time she turns around, there's another rug rat that she has brought into this house. So God, why have you blessed her and not me? But something I want to point out that is so important before we continue reading this account is that during this time of disappointment and heartache and heartbreak, Hannah keeps on praying. She keeps on believing. Year after heart-wrenching year, she prays, believes, and waits. Your situation, I'm sure, is different than Hannah's, but you can still relate. You've prayed and prayed 
and believe for the salvation of someone close to you, but year after year after year goes by, and they seem to get farther away from God. Or you've prayed and prayed for a child that is deeply addicted to drugs or alcohol, but it seems your prayers are not even being heard. I told this in Pastor's Prayer Partners this morning, but this past, I think it was Friday morning, during my prayer time early, I, I felt impressed to pray for another pastor. And I normally don't have a lot of contact with him. And he, um, so I just prayed for him, and then I just texted him and I said, you know, just, uh, just so you know, I felt impressed to pray for you. I spent some time praying for you today. And, and after about 30 minutes, he texted back and he said, you have no idea. He said, what happened was my child, who has been free and clear of drugs for over a year now, he relapsed and lost his job. We are devastated. He said, thank you for praying. And I know this pastor he has dealt with this son for so many years and he's prayed and prayed and fasted and put his life savings into treatment and he has to be questioning God why aren't you answering my prayers or you've prayed for a job that would not just be a job but would be a career where you actually make good money and save money to have an emergency fund or you ask God for the healing of someone that you love and you knew that God, the great physician, could easily take away those cancer cells, but he hasn't. Maybe you prayed. Maybe you begged God to make your depression go away. Yet year after year, you just fight to get out of bed and barely make it through the day. Or it could be the trial that never seems to go away. It could be the marriage that never seems to get better. It could be dreaming of hoping for someone to do life with in marriage, yet year after year after year, you're still alone. And so you begin to wonder, God, do you even hear my prayers? God, are you there? Do you even care? Now, back to Elkanah for a moment, and... I brought out how Elkanah seemed to be a good man. I mean, he packed up his entire family every year and made the 15 to 20, 25 mile or so journey from Ramah to Shiloh by foot. Yet, I, I don't know how to say this, but as wonderful of a man as Elkanah was, may I just point out to you that he was still a, a typical guy that said dumb things. Be careful, ladies, don't say amen right now. He was still a dude. Now, now ladies, you need to understand that most of us are wonderful men. You are so lucky to have us. You just can't get any better than some of us. I was hoping the place would just erupt in applause from the ladies. Man, you missed out on a beautiful opportunity here. But as wonderful as we are, I, I'm sorry to say that you still can't cast the dude out of a man. You, you can't cast insensitivity out of us. You can't cast dumb out of us. We dudes just say stupid things. And yeah, I got time. L let me just digress a moment here and take a moment to protect some of my brothers. Yeah. <laughs> we need each other, guys. I'm... There are landmines in every marriage. There are certain questions that you as men should never ask. And, and my God has sent me here today to give you men a little bit of advice. 
what you never ever do, men. If your wife is a stay-at-home mom, you never ever under any circumstance walk in at the end of the day and say, so what did you do today? Or did you do anything today? And all of the ladies said, you never do that. Just say, don't, okay, ladies? Don't do that because, men, if you do that, it will not go well for you. Uh, Nor should you ever walk up to a woman and say, did you mean to do that to your hair? (laughs) That will not end up well. Okay, men, just, I'm on your side. I'm in your corner. I'm trying to help you out. Nor should you ever say, hum, honey, did you gain some weight over the holidays? It sure looks that way. Maybe you ought to try to get those pounds off before they stick to you permanently. Gentlemen, you may be a godly man that goes to church every time the doors are open. You may pray with your wife morning and night. You may even go to every men's encounter. But men, you can't help it. We can't help it. We're still dudes. And and as wonderful of a man as Elkanah was, he was still a dude. And and he asked an incredibly dudish question. So remember, here's the setting. Hannah wants a child so badly. She's prayed, believed, and waited. Nothing has happened. The other woman in the house, Penina, has made fun of her barrenness. And then to top things off, Elkanah, bless his heart, <laughs> he means well, but he asks such a dudish, insensitive question. Look at verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? And then here is the question. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? You know, it kind of cracks me up now, several thousand years later, but I'm sure it didn't crack Hannah up. And probably for good reason, Hannah's response is not recorded in Scripture. (laughs) But God revealed it to me. And what she said, and uh, what, what Hannah says was, Elkanah, you are an idiot. Or maybe she was a bit kinder and said, Elkanah, do you want to rephrase that question? Because if not, you won't live to see another day. This was not a smart thing to say, especially as we understand Hannah's emotion in 1 Samuel 1.10. In bitterness of soul. Wow. Just try to capture that. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. I don't know for sure what it means to be in bitterness of soul. I've had a few times when I was pretty upset where I was torn up, but I, don't, I, I think this goes way beyond being upset or torn up. Hannah, from the depths of her heart in bitterness of soul, cries out to God. And by the way, she's not the only one in the Bible that cried out to God in anguish. David cried out in the Psalms, God, why aren't you stopping my enemies? Moses cried out, In my words, God, these people are wearing me down. Blind Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Hannah, in bitterness of soul, wept much, prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And, And what follows is a fascinating exchange between Hannah and her pastor, or, you know, at that time was called a priest. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, 
Eli, that's the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And then the next part of this verse gives us why we should always be slow to make quick assumptions. Her lips were moving. She wasn't saying anything out loud, and so the pastor, the priest, this was kind of a duty statement as well, Eli thought she was drunk. Now, now can you imagine how that went over? Uh, thought, thought she was drunk and, and, and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. But Hannah said, not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and, and grief. And can you imagine how Pastor Eli had to feel? Wow. He just saw her and said, you are a drunk skunk. That's Trussell's translation there. Uh, he had to be convicted. Eli believes her. And in verse 17, Eli answered, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Now, I want to point out that in this instance, God does nothing visible. He doesn't shine a light down on her. There's no voice thundering from the heavens saying, You will have a baby. There's no visible sign. To Hannah's knowledge, she's still not pregnant. Penina is still making fun of her. Elkanah is still clueless, saying dumb things. But Hannah continues to hold on to God by faith. And, and, and 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19 is so incredibly powerful. Don't, catch, don't, don't, don't miss this. You need to catch this. Early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord. So they went to the early service. But before they made the 20 mile or so walk back home, they went and worshiped the Lord. That is so different than today. You know, if, if something ha- disappointing happens, we say, I just need to take some time away from church. I need to clear my head. I just need to find myself. Besides, the pastor accused me of being a drunk of all things. I won't be going back to that church anymore. Now, not Hannah, not Elkanah. Despite the circumstances, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped the Lord. One of the things that Satan wants us to do when we're down is to isolate ourselves from other believers. You know, Wednesday night, we're, we're, in, the, we're in a class on uh, discouragement and depression. And that's what we're finding out is that whenever people get down, whenever people get discouraged, they want to isolate. But that's the worst thing you can do. Of course, there are times when we need to, when it's healthy to be alone, but God created us with the need for community. We need each other. You need to be in church. I need to be in church. And so Elkanah and Hannah got up early and went to the early service and worshiped the Lord with other believers. And you know what I think? I, Hannah had learned that a waiting season is never a wasted season. And, and God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. And, and just because you don't see something doesn't mean that God's not doing something. And, and pay attention here. In Hannah's case, God gave her the desires of her heart. But, listen, it may not always happen that way for everyone. 
You know, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, is full of people who were commended by God as having faith, but they never got to see the desires of their heart. And it wasn't because of their faulty faith. The the goodness of God is not based on what we see or what we don't see. The goodness of God is simply based on who He is. And trust me, He is good. He is loving. He is caring. He's a good God. Having faith doesn't mean that it will always happen like you want or even pray or even believe. But here's what happened in Hannah's case. Early the next morning they arose, worshiped before the Lord, went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife. I assume that was after Elkanah apologized for the dumb thing he had said. But he slept with his wife and and the Lord remembered her So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Just because you don't see it in a moment doesn't mean you won't see it in a lifetime. Just because you don't see it in your lifetime doesn't mean that it won't happen after you die. So as we try to wrap things up today, what to do if we find ourselves disappointed with God? Three things. First, continue to cry out to him. It's okay to express your feelings to God. The Bible says that in bitterness of soul, in anguish, Hannah cried out to God. You do the same. Cry out to Him in anguish. Secondly, continue to trust in Him. Remember, we're not capable of seeing the big picture. We just see the little tiny fragment of eternity. But God is good, knows what He is doing. What he may be doing may not be pain-free. It may not be what we would have ordered, but God has a plan, and it's a good plan. Amen? Amen. Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then finally, as you trust God, and as you realize he's working for your good, choose to let go of any feelings of hurt, anger, and even bitterness towards him. When people say dumb things, when your husband or wife says something dumb, when your pastor says something done, dumb that stings, and when God does something that doesn't make sense, choose to let go of those feelings. Even if God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want Him to, even if things may not happen like you think they should, even if so-and-so gets cancer, even though so-and-so has a serious accident, choose by faith to trust God and let Him back into your life. Throughout the week I've been praying because I know there are some people that are struggling with God there. They wouldn't admit it. You say, oh no, I'm good with God. And, but... There may be some here that you've got a low-grade anger, just disappointed. Would you, would you return, would you return back to Him? Begin to trust Him because He is totally, totally good and He has your best interest in mind. Amen. So as we pray, would you just release it? Say, God, I don't understand. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing, but I trust you. You're a good God. Let's pray. Father, I want to just ask that uh, 
today you would begin to do a work in our hearts. Lord, we know it's so easy to um, allow the circumstances of life. It's so easy to allow things that happen to us or relatives affect our view of you. But Lord, I pray that we would just understand that you're a good God. Your character is good. And Lord, the things that you allow into our lives may not be pleasant. But then again, the cross wasn't pleasant for your son. But it was necessary. The darkest time in your son's life was the greatest work that was ever to be done. And so Lord, sometimes those dark times in our lives, you're doing something behind the scenes. You're shaping us. You're molding us. Will it be easy? No. Will we always understand it? Absolutely not. But Father, I pray that we would just trust you. We would keep on worshiping you. Lord, that we would uh, not become bitter at people, bitter at God. That we would not isolate. But we would just trust you. Lord, I do pray for those that are really struggling. Lord, things, things have gotten in the way, just misunderstandings. But I pray that today they would be able to kind of see through the clouds and see Jesus once again. God, give us peace. Peace with man, peace with God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.